Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, October 2nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. The show has been modified from what we published just a few hours ago to reflect news that broke during the middle of the New York night. U.S. President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump have tested positive for COVID-19. They'll start quarantine barely a month before the U.S. presidential election. Markets were impacted soon after the news broke. Futures for the S&P 500 fell more than 1.4% at the time of this recording. Meanwhile, Tokyo's benchmark topics reversed earlier gains to drop 1%. This story is developing, and we'll have more on FT.com. As for the rest of today's show, less stimulus means less income for Americans. We'll have the numbers. The European Union could take the UK before the European Court of Justice. Plus, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are competing for the American Midwest. And the state of Ohio might tell us all we need to know about how the rest of the presidential election will shake out. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Democrats and Republicans are still fighting over a new stimulus package. And as lawmakers squabble, Americans suffer. The U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis found that U.S. personal income dropped by 2.7% in August. This came after emergency unemployment benefits expired for millions of Americans. Personal income wasn't the only thing hit. American consumption growth fell from July, and more people had to dip into their savings. Democrats in the White House restarted stimulus talks this week, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said she was optimistic about a deal, but both sides are still working through key differences. Remember that House Democrats passed a $3 trillion plan in May that never got off the ground in the Republican-controlled Senate. Turning to Brexit, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said yesterday that the EU was suing the UK. The Commission has decided to send a letter of formal notice to the UK government. This is the first step in an infringement procedure. You'll remember last month, the UK introduced an internal market bill that would override last year's Brexit deal and break international laws that keep the border between Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic open and unmonitored. Our Brussels reporter Jim Brunsden explains that this might not be the last time the EU threatens the UK with legal action. Now, this is part and parcel of EU business. Um, There are hundreds and hundreds of infringement proceedings launched every year. The EU database is full of open cases, which are just trucking along. Well, that system continues to apply to the UK now, with the UK in its post-Brexit transition period. And actually, the EU even has a right to launch these kind of procedures for four years after the transition period ends, if the infractions happened before the end of this year. There could be a happy ending to all this where there is a trade deal. Boris Johnson says that a trade deal means they no longer need these offending provisions of the Internal Market Bill. They are withdrawn and everyone rides happily off into the sunset. Conversely, there could be a very painful outcome where the European Parliament finds itself in a situation of having to weigh what to do. And in a way, you know, the ball is with the UK on this one. This is one of these situations where there's a complex array of actors involved. There's a whole constellation of people. But in the middle of it, there's precisely one actor that really has a choice. Jim Brunston is the Brussels reporter for the FT. We've talked enough about Tuesday's disastrous presidential debate, but we haven't talked that much about where it took place. Cleveland, Ohio. Now, Ohio is a Midwestern state that's long been considered the bellwether state. And not just politically. 
Ohio is often used to represent the health of American manufacturing and generally the American middle class. It's why you heard cutthroat exchanges like this one during the debate. I was asked to bring back Chrysler and General Motors. We brought them back right here in the state of Ohio and Michigan. He blew it. They're gone. He blew it. And in fact, they're gone. Ohio had the best year it's ever had last year. Here to talk about why Ohio is so important is the FT's Washington bureau chief, Dmitry Sevastopoulos. Dmitry, Ohio is often used as an indicator for the rest of the nation. They, they literally do product testing in Columbus because it's so representative. Uh, how would you describe Ohio's importance to someone, uh, you know, listening outside the U.S.? Well, Ohio is fascinating, as you say, because it's got a little bit of all of America, and, and that is why they do test kind of marketing messages in, in Columbus. Demographically, traditionally, it's been kind of closer to the makeup of America, although that is changing. But, you know, historically, it has been a microcosm. And so if you've been able to win over a majority of voters in Ohio, that's a pretty good indicator that you're reaching different groups and different Americans and therefore have a higher chance of winning the presidency. And that's actually been borne out by history because actually no Republican president has won the White House without winning Ohio. And the last Democrat to win the White House without winning Ohio, you still have to go back uh, more than six decades to uh, John F. Kennedy. So you can see that Ohio historically has been pretty much a must-win state. And that's why so many presidential candidates spend time in Ohio. Trump himself campaigned in 2016 on a pledge to bring manufacturing jobs back to the state. Did Trump live up to his promise to Ohioans? Trump kind of caught on to something. And what he did particularly was he appealed a lot to working class uh, white Democrats who worked in factories and manufacturing plants, particularly in, in eastern Ohio on the border with Pennsylvania. It was an area that had been hugely democratic for most of it for decades. And Trump came in and he basically won a lot of those voters back. And the reason he did was he had this message about jobs and as trade deals such as NAFTA had resulted in jobs leaving the area for China or Mexico, Democrats hadn't done enough to bring jobs back in. So Trump was going to fix this. For the first three years of his administration, manufacturing jobs in Ohio did rise by more than 2%. But actually, when you compare it to the national average, Ohio was lagging by a couple of points, which was less good. But I think the other thing that's worth just kind of reminding listeners is that there's something happened in eastern Ohio that wasn't just about the economy and jobs. There was a kind of a, Trump had a cultural affinity, a resonance with people there who just looked at him and thought, you know something, he's not like one of these typical coastal elite politicians who just tells us what we want to hear. So even as the jobs record is not as good as it would have been before the pandemic, and is certainly not as good as Trump said it would be, he still has a strong level of support. And that's something that Joe Biden has to find a way to overcome. And, you know, to the point about Trump's character appeal, you know, you talk about coastal elites, and, and certainly that was kind of the, the picture that was painted around Hillary Clinton. But, you know, Joe Biden is, is, is kind of painted himself as a salt of the earth, you know, Pennsylvanian. And it really begs the question as to whether or not Ohio is, again, as it has been in the past, a swing state. Yeah, it really does. I mean, so Ohio had definitely trended red, trended Republican. And when Trump beat Clinton by eight points, which was an 11-point swing from Obama's victory over Romney four years before that. Many political analysts and, you know, state, local, even national Democrats thought, okay, 
Ohio is now a solidly Republican state. It's no longer a swing state. In recent months, Biden has actually taken a lead in the polls. I think he's about three points up at the moment over Trump, which shows that it really is back in play. And, you know, I wrote a piece recently where I talked to a number of local and state Democrats in Ohio, and they all said to me, almost without exception, Biden is doing very well. He has a shot of beating Trump, but he's not investing. And if he wants to beat Trump, he really needs to spend money there, get on the airwaves, digital ads, all of those things. So I want to go back to this point about Ohio being a bellwether state. And, you know, can the state of Ohio tell us anything about the rest of the Midwest, the the rest of the country? Are there any lessons that we can learn here? Uh, Definitely. So Ohio, even though Biden is leading in the polls right now, I I still think it's fair to say that Ohio is a more conservative state than a number of its kind of northern neighbors. So if you look at the map of America, Immediately to the the west, east, and south of Ohio, you've got Indiana, Kentucky, and West Virginia, which are solidly Republican. But if you go a little bit further north, you've got Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. There's similar makeup between them. They're all Rust Belt. Uh, Industry is very important. And so the feeling is that if Joe Biden is winning over a majority of voters in Ohio, it's probably because he's winning back a group of white working class voters who are known as Trump Democrats. They had been Democrats most of their life, but when Trump came along, they abandoned ship and they and they left the Democrats and went to Donald Trump. If Joe Biden is winning back those voters in Ohio, then there's a very strong case to be made that he's doing the same in the upper Midwest from Minnesota across to Michigan and then also in neighboring Pennsylvania. So really, Ohio, you can see it is a almost a must-win state for Donald Trump. And if you want a better picture of how things look on the electoral map, we've got a, a really great uh, visualization and breakdown of how the candidates are doing in each state on FT.com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes today. Dimitri Sevastopolo, thank you as always for being with me. Thanks, Mark. Before we go, the late Hugh Hefner's brainchild is returning to the public markets. Playboy Enterprises said on Thursday it had secured a cash injection and would return to the public markets almost a decade after going private. We're sure that investors will just be reading up on Playboy's progress for the articles. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Dan Bobkoff. We had help from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keene. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. This is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.